lived on the hedge, on the edge between the human world and the natural world, between the tame and the untamed. And I think that that has been very much true of shamans everywhere, that the shaman was the one who lived close enough to the wild to understand the workings of nature and also had a foot, had a life in the human world to understand the needs of the community. That's kind of the background out of which all these traditions spring. And I think it's very important to remember, and we're going to go back into this more in the third session, because if we actually want to have a practice of earth-based spirituality, it means we also need to have a practice of actually connecting with the earth. But I want to take us on a little quick magical mystery history tour, <laughs> or herstory tour, and go back and look at what started to happen in Europe and the Middle East around the time when human beings developed agriculture, when we moved from collecting and gathering plants and hunting animals to actually herding and keeping animals and domesticating animals and domesticating plants, developing and breeding plants that could be planted and grown near our human settlements. The first area where agriculture developed was probably the Fertile Crescent, the area of the Middle East that now includes Iraq, Syria, Palestine, Lebanon, that area. And one of the reasons why agriculture developed so early there was that it had some fortunate advantages. It had some wild grains that were the ancestors of our bread wheat and many of our current crops. It had the animals that were the ancestors of our domesticated sheep and cows. So they were lucky. They had these resources and they figured out how to use them and how to grow food. With that came a shift in human culture. Humans now could settle down, could live in villages, could live in larger concentrations because they could produce more food and not simply be dependent on hunting and gathering what was available in the wild. And what we find in the Middle East, in Europe, and actually what you do find in other parts of the world too at this same stage of culture is that religion centered very much on these images of life, on these cycles of birth and growth and death and regeneration, and on the magic and the mystery of what happens with the seed, with the corn, with the grain, when you plant that seed into the earth, into the depths of the earth, and out of that darkness, out of, and since that death of the seed, comes new sprouts, new growth, new life. So let's look at the work of a wonderful archaeologist, a woman named Maria Gimbutas, who's one of the major archaeologists who's done some of the key, most crucial work on the early goddess cultures of old Europe. She did five major excavations of her own in Greece and the Balkans. She also spoke and read 15 different languages, so she was a renowned expert on all the archaeology of Eastern Europe. She was a refugee from Lithuania who came to the United States after World War II and eventually became chair of the Department of Indo-European Studies at UCLA. And when she began her career, she was looking at 
the Bronze Age at this slightly later period where civilization started to develop weapons, was very much focused around war and cultures of chieftains. While she was looking at all that, she was a highly respected archaeologist, world-renowned, wrote all of these books that were the classics in that field. But then she began to look at the earlier period. She began to delve back into the Neolithic. The Neolithic is a term that means New Stone Age, and that is the term for that time when culture shifted from hunter-gathering to early agriculture. And what she found there in Europe were cultures that celebrated the principles of life and were based very much on these images, female images of power, images of the goddess. She looked at artifacts from all over Europe and the Middle East and developed a theory uh, that she could see in the patterns of the images and the symbols clues to the religion of these early people. And she grouped these images of the goddess into uh, what she eventually saw as three sort of major aspects of the goddess of life or three major groupings of different goddesses. In some sense, to me, it's not so important whether you see these as aspects of one goddess or different goddesses, because even the different goddesses are aspects of this underlying oneness of life. The first groupings were the goddesses of birth-giving, of life, of spring, of renewal, and they were symbolized by the birth-giving goddess, uh, many, many images of birth-giving goddesses all over Europe, by the mother and child. Uh, you can find statues of mother and child going back 6,000, 8,000 years that predate the Madonna of Christianity. The bear and the deer were animals associated with that aspect of the goddess. Another aspect of the goddess was the death aspect. Um, death was always associated with regeneration. And so you'll see the death aspect of the goddess was connected with these sort of stiff, bone-like goddess figures that you find like in the Cycladic Islands, the islands off the coast of Greece. They call them sometimes the violin goddesses. They're very abstract, and they're often made of white marble. White was the color of death in old Europe in this period, not black. Black was associated with birth and with fertile soil and with life. But white was the color of bone and snow and dried up, desiccated earth. So it was associated with death. Uh, the death goddesses are also connected to the owl and the vulture. And they're often marked with the sign of life, however, which was the vulva, the triangle, the fertile part of the woman where life comes back from because death was always connected with regeneration. And finally, there is a goddess who she associates with the continuance, the maintenance of life, with spring, with renewal, with all of those elements that support life, particularly with water and with the life-giving rains. And she calls that the bird and snake goddess. And you'll see figures that are marked with meanders uh, that represent water, with V shapes that look like bird wings or bird beaks. 
all of those kinds of images, flowers, plants, images of spring, and those are connected with this idea of renewal. And one of the things that Maria said over and over again is that the goddess is not just about fertility, although fertility is important, but she's really about this quality of regeneration. She's about the way the cycles of life and the cycles of the earth continually renew themselves over and over again and come back again and again. Now, her theories are very controversial, and of course, you know, many people, when she started writing about this, she got widely attacked, and suddenly she wasn't so respectable. And you can always go back and find a detail here or something there to criticize. But if you actually look at her material, and I really do recommend getting some of her books and looking at them, you just see these images that are overwhelming over and over again of all of these patterns, all of these symbols, all of these aspects of life. And when you think about the concept of, you know, the symbol of the sacred being the triangle, being the vulva, which goes all the way back to the Paleolithic caves. You know. I mean, to me, it's just kind of a real shift in our consciousness to think what it would be like to live in a culture where the sign of the vulva was the sign of holiness and where the human body was considered something that was sacred, something that was holy, something that was an aspect of life and that was an aspect of the most potent, fertile, life-giving, connecting power in the universe, uh, and not something that was sort of dirty and suspect and you should be ashamed of it. I think it puts us...